let's stand together as we worship the Lord through song, as we sing out, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. Let's sing this out together. My faith has found a resting place, Thank you for joining us for worship today at First Baptist Church of Wixom. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. Mark your calendar now to be in town for the FBC Wixom 185th Anniversary Homecoming Weekend on June 10th and 11th. We are planning several events to celebrate God's goodness on our church for nearly 200 years. To start the weekend, we will have a kids' fun run and an adult 5K race on Saturday morning. You can sign up for these races by visiting the church website or by scanning the QR code on the screen. The kids' fun run begins at 8.30 a.m. and the 5K will start at 9 a.m. We will also have a bouncy house and Kona shaved ice so you can enjoy the festivities as a family. On Saturday evening, there will be a homecoming cookout with outdoor games at 5 p.m. and a musical concert with the Merrills at 7 p.m. And on Sunday, we will have a great time of worship at 10 a.m. with evangelist Aaron Coffey. There will be no Sunday school or community groups that day. Don't miss this incredible weekend of celebration. Our quarterly member meeting is today after morning worship. Please plan to stay for this brief meeting celebrating God's blessing on FBC Wixom. There will be a young adult fellowship on Tuesday, May 9th at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Hamburgers will be grilled and there will be games to enjoy. Cost is $5 per person. Please let Bradley Tice know if you plan to attend this event. Community groups continue tonight at 6 p.m. and you can pick up study sheets on the table in the back of the auditorium. If you are not yet connected with a community group, please visit fbcwixom.org forward slash community groups for more information. Community groups meet most Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. Marriage mentoring is a one-year program once a month, which involves a younger married couple meeting with an older couple trained to offer encouragement and spiritual advice. All younger couples are encouraged to participate. Please see Johnny Martin with questions or if you would like to sign up. In just a few minutes, we'll be dismissing children four years to the third grade at the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you'd like to give financially, you can utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the tab at the top of the page. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you would like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connections card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after this service. Once again, 
thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's word this morning. I want to just highlight one thing that you heard just a minute ago, and that is our anniversary celebration. This is something that we've been doing every five years for the last 20 years, and before that, I think five or ten year increments celebrating the anniversary of the church. I don't know if you caught it, but it's been 185 years since First Baptist Church of Wixom was planted, and there's, of course, a rich and storied history, but we like to celebrate God's faithfulness every once in a while, and this June 10 and 11, we're going to do that. Um, Angela described on the video several things that are happening. Kids run, 5K race for adults, a cookout, special concert, special evangelist on that weekend. What we want to make sure that you do is block that off on your calendar. So if you don't regularly use the digital calendar for the church, we encourage you to write this on your personal calendar. June 10 and 11, block it off. It's going to be a really wonderful weekend. And we hope that you'll plan to be here with us. Also, before we pray this morning, I just want to mention one thing to you, and that is that the Sunday school hour has been such a blessing. The special classes going on, and then, of course, the E3 classes that are happening twice throughout the year, and then the auditorium class that happens year-round. There's been more and more attending our Sunday school hour, which we're very grateful for at 945. It has created a little bit of a logistical challenge. And so we just want to remind you this morning that if possible, if you come to Sunday school, we're super glad that you're here and we know the coffee is delicious and we know that the fellowship in the hallways is good, but you would help your Sunday school teachers if you were able to get there on time. So just want to remind you that 945, this is just a gentle encouragement 9.45 is when the Sunday school hour starts, and uh, if you can get there by that time, it'll really help your teachers. That is a very small window of time they're supposed to dismiss by 25 after, meaning they just have you for 40 minutes, and that's tough to squeeze a lesson into if there's a lot of disruption. So please uh, consider coming just a little bit earlier for that 9.45 hour, and uh, we look forward to a great time during the Sunday school hour. Thank you for being here today. We hope this service is an encouragement and a blessing to you. Let's pray as we begin today. Father, we thank you for um, the fact that our faith has found a resting place in Jesus and that we can have a right relationship with you through him. Thank you that he is the great reconciler, that he has made friends of enemies. Lord, he has brought us sinners to you, a holy God, and he has mediated a relationship between the two of us that allows us to fellowship with you, to call you our father, to spend eternity with you, to be forgiven We thank you for these things, and we ask that you'd help us today as we celebrate our Savior. Help us to lift him up appropriately. Lord, we're so grateful for our church and for its history and that we get to be a part of it today. Thank you that we can gather together and sing these songs about your goodness and look into your word and apply it to our lives and build one another up today and advance the priorities of Jesus in one another's lives. Help us to do that. As has already been done during the Sunday School Hour, we thank you for what you've taught us and how you've encouraged us. Now please help us as we worship you to do so in spirit and in truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to sing about the goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's stand together with the goodness of Jesus. Joy here complete. Taste 
about some very tangible and obvious ways that God has been good to you this week. I want you to think about those right now. As we're singing about the goodness of our God, the goodness of Jesus, I mean, we can go specifically back to the fact that he has given his life for ours, that he's made the great exchange, his robes of righteousness for our robes of sin. And we can stop right there and worship Jesus for the rest of eternity. And yet he continuously showers his goodness and his blessings on us. I want us to think about that as we continue to worship him this morning and think about his goodness. Simple chorus, we're going to sing it out three times. But I want you to think about that and sing as thankful people to God, to a good God. Let's sing this out. God is so good. God is so singing this morning. You can be seated.
Amen. Thank you, Dan and Carrie. We appreciate your ministry of music to us every week. Thank you for that beautiful song. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. I invite you to take your Bible to Psalm 145 this morning. Psalm 145. And as you do so, would you join me in a word of prayer today? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word and we're thankful that we have the freedom in this country to gather like this and to listen to music and to sing worship to our Savior and now to look into your word. Thank you that we have your very words given to us through the instrument of the Holy Spirit and the pen of men to write down what you think and so We ask that you would bring our thoughts in line with your thoughts today. Thank you that your word reveals who you are to us. We don't have to wonder what you're like. We can learn by studying your truth. And then, Lord, we ask that you'd help us to be obedient, to respond to that truth, to not just study you, but to ask the question, Lord, how do you want us to respond? Would you help us with that today, Lord, as we think about your goodness? Would you help us to understand you better and seek to obey you more? We pray this in our Savior Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the English language can be somewhat imprecise. And even when it's not imprecise, we sometimes use it imprecisely. For example... I love a good cheeseburger. You know what I'm saying? I also love Mari. And those are a little different. Are you with me? That's a different kind of love. This morning we're going to talk about goodness. And goodness is one of those words, it's one of those concepts that we in English, we kind of mess it up. We're very imprecise with the word good. Let me give you a couple examples. For instance, Food can be good, which means it's tasty. Like Mari makes this fresh salsa that is diced up tomatoes, onions, cilantro. If I'm lucky, there's jalapeno peppers in it. And it is delicious. Like just describing it to you makes my mouth water. It is wonderful. But what's even better, she also makes homemade guacamole, you know, taking a, um avocado and mashing it up and putting some onions in there and a little bit of spice in there and you put those two things together on a chip it is wonderful and i've said maybe a hundred times in my home wow this is good salsa this is good guacamole but that is a little different than if you're describing a child who is good right a child who is good is well behaved and that looks like a good child i don't know if it is or not but that looks like one a good child We might also describe an employee as being a good employee, and probably by that we mean that they're valuable to us. They work hard. They earn the company money. Maybe you've referred to a day as a good day. Today was just a good day. Everything about this day was good. The sun was shining. The weather was beautiful. People were nice to me. It was generally free of difficulty. It was a good day. Day. Now, all of these things have similar meanings. All of these ways of using the word good are similar, but they're slightly different. I mean, it's different to be valuable and to be well-behaved or to be tasty or to be free of difficulty. We understand that they all have the same general positive vibe, so to speak, but they mean something slightly different. So what is goodness. What is the root of the idea of goodness? And I'm not talking about the etymology, like where the English word comes from, but the idea of goodness. Like, what does it mean to be intrinsically good? Well, for the definition of goodness, we must go to God. God is good. And I want to explain to you this morning that God is good Not just in the fact that he is valuable and that he is positive and that he is kind and all of these things that we associate with goodness. But he is good in the sense that he is the definition of goodness. 
Like God is light. God is love. God is goodness. This is where we as humans made in the image of God get our understanding of goodness. Goodness is really God-likeness. And much of his goodness is on display in our passage this morning. The Hebrew word that we will see for good or goodness is pronounced tube. It is translated in scripture a variety of ways like good, good things, goodness, goods, like as in valuables, fairness, beauty, joy, prosperity, discernment. It shows up very many ways in scripture. But in our passage today, it shows up two ways, two very distinct ways. One is about his character, he is good, and the other about, is about his kindness, that he does good. Did you hear those two things? Those are two distinct ways to define goodness. One is about his character, he is good. Would you say that with me? He is good. He is good. The other is about what he does, his kindness, and that is that he does good. Say that with me. He does good. So he is good and he does good. Now, this is really important part of our conversation that we're calling albums of worship on Sunday mornings because this is about the character of God. And we've said that as we look at the character of God and as we see God for who he actually is, we have a responsibility as humans to say, okay, what? how do I respond to that? What do I do with that? For instance, last week we looked at the idea that God is our friend. And in friendship, we really have three very valuable characteristics. In friendship, you have mercy. Remember, in, what, what does mercy do? Mercy essentially overlooks faults. And you do this for your friends. We also have grace. What is grace? Well, grace essentially gives undeserved kindnesses and you do this for your friends. You overlook their faults and you give them undeserved kindnesses. But friendship also has another component and that is that it has presence. You can't really develop a good friendship with someone unless you are with them. Now, a lot of people today try to have virtual friendships, but it's not the same thing as having somebody in your presence showing mercy and grace. And who is the great definition of these things? It is God. He is the great forgiver. His mercy, Scripture says, is high above the heavens. He is the great giver of good things, the gracious one. He gives and gives and gives, even though we continually don't deserve it. And His presence was there ever a better definition of the, the presence of friendship when God became a human and put on flesh so that he could come down and die in our place on the cross? What incredible um, definition of friendship that God gives to us. And so we ask the question, okay, so if God is this kind of friend, how do I respond to that relationship, that friendship and how does that affect the way that I befriend others? Today is no different. God is good. How do I respond to his goodness? What should I do with his goodness? Should God's goodness matter on Monday morning to me? Or is it just a feeling of, boy, I'm glad God is good. Or is there actually something that I should do? And if my theology is robust, I don't just ask, what is God like? I ask, how do I respond? And so this morning, I encourage you to not only applaud God's goodness with me, but to ask this question, how should I respond to his goodness? Would you follow along as I read Psalm 145? Here's what David says. Listen, first of all, to his incredible praise. I will extol thee, my God, O king, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts. And I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness. And shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. 
The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. All Thy works shall praise Thee, O Lord, and Thy saints shall bless Thee. They shall speak of the glory of Thy kingdom and talk of Thy power to make known to the sons of men His mighty acts and the glorious majesty of His kingdom. A kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raiseth up those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, and all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love Him, but all the wicked will He destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. This morning I just want to remind you that what we're reading is poetry. It's a little bit difficult for us in our Western minds to outline what David is saying, to put this together in a logical fashion, because what he's doing, he's literally singing a song of praise to God. It is poetry. But this morning, there's really two big sections of this passage of Scripture that I want to point out to you. Number one, I want you to see the object of David's praise is God. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I want to point this out. Would you just look at the screen with me for just a second? Look at what the first few verses of this passage says. It says, I will extol who? Jesse, can you put that screen up with the passage? I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Would you help me with this? When we get to that word, you say it with me. Every day will I bless who? Thee. And I will praise Thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts. And I will declare thy greatness. Now what is David all about in this psalm? He is all about who God is. This is really important because I don't know if you've bought into my definition of theology yet, but I hope you're, you are getting there. Because every Sunday morning I've told you that a true and robust theology not only says who is God, but who am I in response? How do I respond? David here clearly shows us what this looks like. God is worthy of praise. No one and nothing else has ever been nor ever will be worthy of praise like God is. I will extol him. I will talk about him. I will worship him. I will praise him. I will bow down before him. I will sing to him because of what I'm about to tell you about my God. Alexander the Great. I don't know how you get that name. You know, the Great. Does that happen posthumously or do you name yourself that? I don't know. But anyway, Alexander the Great, it is said, when he had a statue made of himself, he told the sculptor, I would like it to be bigger than I actually am because I want posterity to remember me as being even greater than great. That's a little bit ambitious, I think. But this is what most of us do, right? We want people to remember us as even better than we actually were. What David is saying here is this. I want you to remember God in his greatness. I want you to see his worth. I want you to see his power. I want you to understand his goodness more than you've ever understood it before. That's the object of David's praise. But I want you to see, secondly, the subject of David's praise is the goodness of God. The object is God, but the the subject is is his goodness. And I want you to see a few things that David talks about in this passage about the goodness of God. And I think you will see that there are some responses that we should have as the followers, as the family of God. Number one, God's goodness is manifested by his moral bestness. His moral bestness. I know that's not very good English, but that's actually what it means when it says his great goodness in verse number seven. 
It's a little clunky way to say it. But the idea is that God's intrinsic goodness is the best kind of goodness. It's the most perfect kind of goodness. It's the, as little Caesar says, the extra most bestest goodness. We know this because elsewhere in scripture, this word is translated this way. In the Hebrew mind, this is how they understood this word tube and its derivatives. That there was, We're talking about the best of the best. In Genesis chapter 45, we have kind of an interesting illustration of this. Hang with me for just a second. I know this is a long passage But I think you'll remember the story where Pharaoh is basically telling Joseph, I'm going to take care of your family. And he says in verse number 18, I will give you the good of the land of Egypt. In verse number 20, also regard not your stuff for the good of the land of Egypt is yours. Verse number 23, and to his father, he sent after this man or 10 asses loaded with good. It's the most perfect kind of goodness it's the as little caesar says the extra most bestest goodness we know this because elsewhere in scripture this word is translated this way in the hebrew mind this is how they understood this word tube and its derivatives that there's we're talking about the best of the best in genesis chapter 45 we have kind of an interesting illustration of this hang with me for just a second i know this is a long passage But I think you'll remember the story where Pharaoh is basically telling Joseph, I'm going to take care of your family. And he says in verse number 18, I will give you the good of the land of Egypt. Verse number 20, also regard not your stuff for the good of the land of Egypt is yours. Verse number 23, and to his father, he sent after this man or 10 asses loaded with good things of Egypt. What is he talking about? He's talking about the best things. Let me give you just a, maybe a modern example. Let's pretend that you have a foreign friend who is visiting the United States for the very first time. And they're very excited about the United States. And they're very excited about what they see and what they experience here. And they say to you, would you send home with me to my family the best things? I want them to sample the best of the U.S., well, you're probably not going to take them to five below, right? You're, you're probably not going to even take them to Walmart. You're not going to order some Oriental trading trinkets off of Amazon and send those home with them. No, no, no. You're not going to go to a garage sale and pick up some items. You're going to go find the best. I mean, maybe if you've tasted salsa and, and guacamole at my house, you'll take some of that back. Or you'll take some Michigan cherries. Or you'll go up to the UP and get some, some maple syrup. Or maybe you'll grab a little Caesar's Extra Most Bestest. I don't know. But you'll take something back that represents this is the best. This is what Pharaoh is saying to Joseph. Look, we're going to provide for your family the very best. And this is the word they use too. In 2 Kings 8, 9, there's another example where this guy named Hazael goes to meet Elisha and he takes a present from the king with him and it says he took even of every good thing of Damascus. If you're asking a favor of the prophet, you don't take hand-me-downs, you don't take some stuff that is sort of good, you take the very best. And this is what this word means in our passage today in Psalm 145, where it says... They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness, the best of the best. Now, this morning, we don't mean this casually. We're not saying, you know, isn't God just the best? That's not what we mean by this. What we mean is the superlative best, the, the very definition of best. The, if you look up in the dictionary, what is goodness? It is God-likeness. That's the kind of thinking that is in the Hebrews' mind and in David's mind and should be in our mind this morning. Verse number 7, No wonder they shall sing of thy righteousness, he says. And by the way, we do. We sing of thy righteousness. This morning you sang, Oh, the goodness, the goodness of Jesus. Right? We, We think about the goodness of Jesus all the time. We lift up his mercy all the time. We sing amazing grace. My chains are gone, right? We celebrate the righteousness and the goodness of God. 
And we do so as believers here on Sunday mornings, specifically as an act of our worship together, highlighting the fact that God is not only merciful and gracious and righteous, but he's been merciful to me. He's been gracious to me. He's been righteous in my life. David said in Psalm 31, verse 19, How great is thy goodness. How great is thy goodness. God is so good to us all of the time. But it comes out of his intrinsic goodness. Somebody once said, all of God's attributes would not matter if he wasn't good. In fact, God would be a frightening God if he wasn't also the definition of good moral bestness. But I want you to see number two, God's goodness is demonstrated by his common grace. He not only is good, but he does good. And verse number nine says he actually does good to all. This is common grace. Jesus talked about common grace in Matthew chapter five. I don't know if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. I would challenge you to read the Sermon on the Mount regularly. Some of you I know have memorized the Sermon on the Mount. It's an incredible passage to memorize. But Jesus preaches this amazing and convicting message about the standards of his kingdom in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And one of the things that he says is, look, you should love and bless and pray for not just the people that like you, but the people who don't like you. The people who irritate you, you should love and bless and pray for them. But he doesn't say just do it because it's the right thing to do. He says do it because God does it. And if you want to be like God, this is what you must do. Notice in verse 45, for he, God, makes his son to rise on the evil people and on the good people. And he sends rain on the just people as well as the unjust people. And Jesus says, for if you love them which love you, what reward have you? I mean, basically he says everybody loves those that love them. God's people love those that hate them. God demonstrates this goodness by sending rain and giving sunshine to both the evil and the good. So if you want to be like God, Jesus says, in your goodness, you must be kind to everyone. That's common grace. But I want you to see in our passage, there's also common mercy It says in verse 9, the Lord is good to all, that's common grace, and his mercies are over all his works, that's common mercy. Even the most wicked of humanity experience his mercy. The psalmist in Psalm 52 said this, why do you boast yourself in your mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. What is the psalmist saying? He says, hey, don't brag about the fact that you can keep sinning. It's only because God has mercy on you. Right? There's this, our world is so full of wickedness. And people who flaunt their wickedness in the face of God, and he just continues to give them patience and mercy. Lamentation chapter 3, verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. For this common grace and this common mercy, David says, thy saints shall bless thee. Think about it for just a second. What is he saying? He's saying the saints, God's people, don't just bless God for his grace and mercy to them. He blesses God. They bless God for his grace and mercy to everyone. To everyone. Lord, I'm so glad that you're good and you're kind and you're patient with my annoying neighbor. I don't have any annoying neighbors, but maybe you do, right? Lord, I'm so glad that you forgive those that harm me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. You see, creation was absolutely perfect and man destroyed it with his sin. Yet God gives enough grace and enough mercy that life is good for all humanity. And so all of creation points to the goodness of God. But the saints do something even more than that. The saints don't just say, wow, isn't God good to everyone? The saints actually bless God for his intrinsic goodness. I just want you to see this in verse number 10. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless what? You, thee. The saints will bless God. 
So in other words, remember Romans chapter 1, Paul says that the reprobate mind sees good things and starts to worship those good things and forgets that those good things come from God. Here's what the saints do. Think about this. This is so important to our worship. This is so important to our Sunday mornings. This is so important to our 1045 when Jeremy gets up here and says, stand up and let's sing. How do I come to that with the right attitude? I don't just say, wow, Lord, thank you for the rain that's going to bring the flowers. Thank you for the warmer weather. Thank you for the beautiful snow. Thank you for the health and strength you've given us. Thank you for my family. I don't just say that. I say, Lord, these things just simply illustrate that you are good. You are good. This morning, I'm not just here to call out your kindness. I'm here to celebrate you. It is you that I want to give my attention to. By the way, this is the whole point of this series, right? What is God like and how can we applaud him better? Number three, God's goodness is exhibited in his glorious kingdom. Look at verses 11 and 12 and 13. David mentions the kingdom of God three times. I want you to think about the kingdom just briefly this morning with me. This is a bit of a complex subject But God's kingdom is essentially the reign of Jesus, the reign of Jesus. So you could say in a way that God's kingdom is present here because Jesus reigns here, right? In this church, we don't, we're not reigned, we're not ruled by men, we're ruled by Jesus. He is the head. As Paul describes in Colossians chapter 1, he is the only potentate, the firstborn from the dead, the head of the church, the one that we worship. That is Jesus. For in him, Paul says, does all the fullness of God dwell in Jesus. So in a way, Jesus is reigning right now. But someday, someday Jesus will actually reign on the earth. His kingdom will come On the earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said it was present in him. So when he was here on the earth, the kingdom was beginning. His church represents his kingdom, but it is not fully manifested yet physically. Notice how David describes it. I think this is interesting. In verse 11, he says it will be powerful. In verse 12, it will be mighty. In verse 12, again, it will be glorious. In verse 13, it's an everlasting kingdom. Can I, but can I just ask you a quick question this morning? How do you get into the kingdom? Like, is it mandatory citizenship? Like, is everybody in? Or is there a way to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus? Think about that for just a second. Is there something that you have to do to be part of the kingdom? And how, and how does that relate to the goodness of God. How do you get in? Well, let me remind you of a verse in Romans chapter 2 that says this, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance? So let's go back to our question. How, do you, how are you part of the kingdom of Jesus? You're part of the kingdom By repenting from your sin and following Christ, right? The Bible says believing on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. So we reject our sin and we follow Christ and now I'm part of the kingdom. Well, what made that happen? Why did I reject my sin? Why did I learn the truth of the gospel? Why did God allow me to hear about his salvation offer through Jesus? It was all because of his goodness. It was the goodness of God that led me to repentance. It's God's goodness that found a way to satisfy his holiness and justice in Jesus on the cross. It's his goodness, not yours, that provides a way. He loves you, think about this, because he is good, not because you are good. In fact, it is your badness and an awareness of your badness that, that is where the gospel begins, right? Think about you in comparison to God and think about the gospel. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, you're familiar with it. What does it say? For all have sinned and come short or fallen short of the glory of God. He's holy. You and I are not. 
That's our badness. But I want you to notice what the next verse says, not one that we often quote, verse number 24, being justified freely by his grace. Or in other words, you're super bad because you're a human. Aren't you glad God is good? Right next to each other, we see our badness and we see God's goodness. By the way, this is all throughout Scripture. Remember Romans chapter 5, verse 8? But God commendeth his love toward us, that's his goodness, in that while we were yet sinners, that's our badness, Christ died for us. It was because we had fallen short of the glory of God. Even nice people have fallen short of the glory of God. Are you with me? If you're a nice person, nod your head with me. All right? Even religious people have fallen short of the glory of God. Even sweet little old ladies have fallen short of the glory of God. Even cute little babies have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's true of every human. But His grace, His goodness then steps in and solves it for us through Christ. For God so loved the world, the Bible says, that God gave His only begotten Son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in Him, Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you ever done that? Have you ever come to a place in your life where you said, you know what, I realize I'm a sinner, I'm I'm a mess, I keep messing up, I keep doing wrong things, and I, I try to fix it and I can't fix it. I also realize that I can't make God happy if he's 100% holy and I'm a sinner. i got a real problem. I need somebody to solve this. I need somebody to rescue me. And I realize that Jesus is that rescue. And so I put my faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not my goodness. Not my good works. Not my church attendance or church membership. Not in an offering or candles or a special prayer or anything like that. I trust Jesus Christ and Jesus alone to solve my broken relationship with God the Father. Have you ever done that? It is His goodness that leads you to that point in your life. His goodness. Aren't you glad for the goodness of God? Did you realize how big the goodness of God is? I mean, it's huge. You think about it. It describes His kindness to humanity, but it also describes how He intervenes for us at the cross and brings to us salvation. Notice, fourthly, God's goodness is validated by His kindness to the hurting You say, how is God kind to the hurting? Well, in verse number 14, it says he upholds the fallen, or he he lifts up those that have tripped in the mud. He raises up the stooped. the, The word picture here is the person who's bent over with a burden, who's carrying such a heavy load that they're literally physically starting to crumble underneath that load. And Jesus says, hey, straighten up. Here, let me take that from you. I got it. Right? He lifts up those that are stooped. He gives food to the hungry. He satisfies all of his creation, verse 16 says. In summary, he helps the helpless. He helps the helpless. One of the guys in our church challenged me to memorize Psalm 103, so I'm memorizing it with a couple of friends. Do you know this psalm? This is an awesome psalm, okay? It's amazing. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within thee, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then what David does in Psalm 103 is he begins to describe all of the good things God does for humanity. Look what he does. He forgives, he heals, he redeems, he loves, he shows mercy, he gives us good things, and then he executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. So in other words, God intervenes for hurting people. Paul preached this in Acts chapter 14. He said, nevertheless, he left not himself, speaking of God, without witness, and that he did good. And he gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our heart with food and gladness. David said in Psalm 27, I was so crushed under the weight of life and my problems. I was about to give up and I would have given up unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord. God helps those that are hurting. But I want you to see, lastly, his goodness is activated by the pursuit of his own. 
He's activated by the pursuit of his own. And I don't know if that word activated is the right word. Maybe it should be appreciated. The point I'm making is this, that God is always good. We don't always notice it. Right? Have you ever heard another Christian tell you a story? And they're like, oh my goodness. Life was terrible. Like my car wouldn't start and I got out to, to see what was underneath and I caught my finger under the hood and tore a nail. Then I got back in and banged my shin on the side of the car, you know, and then my boss told me I was getting a demotion and they explained this incredible difficult day and then they say, well, but God was good. Well, can I just tell you that God is always good? Right? I mean, whether you realize it or not, whether your day goes well or not, whether it's a promotion or a demotion, God is always good. Would you affirm that with me? Say it together. God is always good. He is always good. But his own don't always recognize it. We don't always recognize it. I want you to see at the very end here, and again, we're reading poetry, so we have to think a little bit about where David is coming from. But in verse number 18, he really talks about how you access the goodness of God. Like You might be here this morning and say, you know what, I've put my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a follower. I, I am on my way to heaven. I know what it means to be forgiven. I'm a Christian. But I'm not sure God's been good in my life this last week. Like in general, I know he's good. And I know he was good in sending Jesus. And I know he's good in meeting our needs and letting me live another life, another day. But... I don't know if I've experienced his goodness personally. Like, how do you experience that? Well, that's what I think David gets into starting in verse number 18, where he says, you must call upon him. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. Can I just make what maybe is an obvious statement, but I think is really true and something we need to hear, that you won't recognize God's goodness unless you're reaching out to him. Like, if I solve all my own problems, I don't recognize the goodness of God. If I think that my, the goodness of my life is up to me, I won't recognize his goodness. But what David says is, look, the Lord draws near to those that call upon him, that reach out to him. Psalm 34, verse 8, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him, but you must taste and see. I mean, it's one thing to have a plate of beautiful food sitting in front of you and to smell it, right? But if you're going to enjoy it, what do you have to do? You have to taste it, experience it for yourself. Psalm 34, verse 10, they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. You see, goodness is appreciated, or we might use the word activated, but God is always good. So it is appreciated through faith, through saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust what you are doing in my life. Secondly, it is appreciated through fear, through fear. Verse number 19, he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. You will never know how good God is until you come to the point where you says, Lord, I fear you enough that I choose to obey you. I choose to obey you. See, fear leads to obedience. If you're here on Wednesday nights for our Bible study here in the auditorium, Holden's been teaching through some of the Old Testament and talking about the disobedience of the children of Israel. God continued to show them goodness. They continued to disobey. How do we do? Psalm 84 verse 11 says, No good thing will God withhold from them that walk uprightly. Are you walking in obedience? The chances are, there are some of us here today who you say, You know what? I came in with a sin burden. I've got some sin I'm dealing with. And I'm just bound to determine I'm going to leave with that sin burden. See if I can manage it on myself. Managing on my own this week. And what God is saying to you is, look, you need to fear me enough that you say, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to leave it at the cross. 
I'm going to let Jesus handle my sin burden. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to seek to live in victory. I'm going to quit whatever that sin burden is so that I can experience the goodness of God. Notice thirdly, God's goodness is appreciated by those that love him. Verse 20, the Lord preserveth all them that love him. Do you love God? Do you remember what Romans 8:28 says? A lot of times we claim this erroneously for ourselves even though we're not in this category because Romans 8:28 says that all things work together for good to them that what? Love God. Do you love God? And then lastly, praise God. Do you praise him for his goodness? David was trying to praise God. Even though he couldn't always see God's goodness, he was praising him for his goodness. Psalm 52, verse 9, I will praise thee forever because you have done it. Psalm 107, four times in this psalm, we see the same verse. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Let me just give you really quick three conclusions to the goodness of God. Number one, will you praise God for his goodness to the next generation. We kind of skipped over this, but verse number four of our passage today says, One generation shall praise thy works to another. Will you do this? I think there's two ways you can do this in the church. Think through this. There's a a question on this in our study guide for this evening. How does one generation of First Baptist Church praise the goodness of God to the next generation? How do you do that? Well, one is you tell them, right? You go to young people and you say, hey, young person, can I just remind you how good God is? By the way, they don't believe you if you've got a look of, you know, life is hard on your face and I hate everybody. Young people don't listen to old people that look like that, okay? What you have to do is actually have a smile and say, hey, I'm glad to be in church. God is good. Let me tell you about how good he is and pass it on to the next generation. But there's another way that this should be happening and it is in discipleship. The next generation of believers. Let me just tell you about how good God's been in my life. And may it encourage you in discipleship. Secondly, will you thank God for his mercy and grace on others? Try this every day this week, seven days in a row. I'm going to thank God for his mercy and grace on others. And then lastly, will you let his goodness produce goodness in you? Will you let his goodness produce goodness in you? There's an interesting verse in 2 Thessalonians and chapter 1 where Paul says this, We pray for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness in you. Would you let his goodness produce goodness in you? Or are you holding him back? If Paul prayed for this to happen... It must be possible for us to limit the goodness of God. May we as a people not do so. May we praise him for his mercy and his grace. May we praise him to the next generation. And may we let his goodness create goodness in us. Father, thank you for your word and its truth. Thank you this morning for being such a good God. Lord, we've misused that word so many times that it sounds trite. But you are good. You are intrinsically good. You are the definition of good. And may any goodness in our lives flow out of our love for you, our fear for you, our faith in you, our obedience to you. Lord, may may we praise you with our life, seeking to let your goodness create goodness in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
king of our souls in the darkness where we go you are there you are love you are all together good in the weakness of our faith in the silence where we wait you are here you're enough you are all together joys and our griefs. You have led us to believe the wisdom of your ways, the courage of your grace express our only hope for all our days. In the darkness where we go, you are there, you are love, you are all together good. In the weakness of our faith, in the silence where we wait, you are here, you're enough, you are all together Thank you for watching this video of one of our recent services. It's a pleasure for us to have you join us from a distance and join our church in a time of worship around the Word of God. The most important message that we can tell you is that God loves you. And he loves you so much that He gave Jesus Christ as payment for your sins. And the Bible says that all that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We want you to know that message that true life is found in Jesus Christ. An eternal life 
opportunity to live 